Hi, I'm Bob Switzer, and this is the Epic Narrative. <laughs> All right. All right. So, so uh, chapter 20 of 1 Samuel starts out with, Then David fled from Naoth of Ramah and went to Jonathan. Now, now I just... If you if you remember, we left we left with David staying with Samuel in this Naoth complex, this in essence this prophecy school, this place where uh, Samuel was entrenched. Everybody knew Samuel. Samuel, uh, you know, was a, a, had his own uh, realm of authority, his own world, and that happens a lot with spiritual. Um, celebrities, spiritual giants, right? They they create an environment around them where they're surrounded by people who love and adore them and listen to them, and and they have many many people who who look to them for uh, spiritual guidance, and those people generally are people of authority. Like the the greater spiritual notoriety, notoriety, the, the more you're spiritually <laughs> well known. Sorry, <laughs> I, I can see the word in my mind. I can hear it being said in my mind. I can't enunciate it out of my mouth. It drives me a little cuckoo, and it makes me laugh because it happens a lot in my world. But when you're in a place of of, of authority and you hear of a person of spiritual authority, you you tend to be drawn to them for spiritual guidance. Very seldom does somebody of... of political or military authority who's in need of spiritual guidance go to somebody who nobody knows. They usually go to somebody who is well-known, somebody that they've seen from afar because usually people in the high end of politics or or um, government or military or entertainment, they usually don't have, quote, time to be a regular attender at some church in the area because because of their celebrity and because of their money or or their connection to money or their blah, 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 blah. I know there's lots of reasons. They know if they go to church, they can be a distraction or people will come to church to try and get access to them and not really be there for the right reasons. So a lot of times they'll, they'll separate themselves from the church uh, environment, from the, from the, quote, spiritual uh, regulars. And instead, they'll approach the spiritual authorities on the on the side. Uh, of course, in today's world, that's you know a, a cell phone call or or an email or something along that line. And then and then they get their spiritual interaction through that. And sometimes we hear about it, like sometimes we'll hear about a you know a famous singer. Um, more recently, I know that uh, like Justin Bieber was uh, has been known to be connected to the Hillsong. Um, worldwide ministry and specifically to the pastor of Hillsong in New York. And I've forgotten his name. It's okay. It's it's not because I don't like him. It's just, uh, oh man, I can see it. Carl, Carl Lentz. There you see, I did remember. Just give me a minute. But he would, you know, so, so a lot of people would be like, oh, he went and saw a pastor. Oh, he found religion. Oh, you know, he's saying a worship song. Oh, this is such an amazing thing. 
That's because we're celebrity driven in a lot of ways. We like to be distracted by celebrities that we like to, you know, and 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 it's a big deal. So if somebody like that starts showing up at church on a regular basis, it becomes a distraction to everybody else uh, who's trying to just do like normal church, everyday church. So I picture Samuel. He's in this. He's in this region on a you know, uh, and has been for a number of years since Saul's become king. He has a probably a quite a network, as he did before Saul became king. He had you know he networked around the whole nation, so he still has friends. He still has connections of tribal leaders, uh, um, family leaders, elders of all shapes and sizes of cities and villages around the nation. He's got people from other nations who come to him for spiritual guidance. He's a proven prophet, somebody who gets words from God and and sees and has knowledge that nobody else would have unless they were connected to God. And so Samuel has all of this, and David is there. And Saul sends three rounds of troops to go capture David and bring him back to the palace to be killed. And every round of troops, I'm guessing it's 100, let's say it's 100 people, become overwhelmed with the presence of God and have this incredible, ecstatic, mystical experience with God and leave without David. They don't even attempt to finish out their their assignment. They leave and go back to the palace and they explain to Saul what happened because in their head, it is so overwhelming. It doesn't matter what Saul's reaction might be. It doesn't matter if he throws a spear at him. It doesn't matter if, if they're all put to death. And none of them are put to death. They're all dismissed. And the next round of troops is sent. And it happens again and again and again. And then Saul takes a fourth round of troops to this place. And it happens to the, his round of troops as well as himself. And it says he literally lays on the ground. I know technically it says naked, but it really means without his spiritual robes, without his, sorry, his royal robes on. He, he lays there on the ground and just spends all this time in the presence of God. And I know that there's some who who have preached you know messages over the fact that this was a prophetic uh, declaration from God that he had taken the kingdom, the royal robes off of Saul and had you know l- left him naked uh, and without without covering. And others say this is a, beautiful interaction between Saul and, and God in which Saul is able to, you know, dismiss his his um, worldly persona and lie naked and whole, so to speak, lie completely vulnerable to the presence of God and God's grace and love is put on Saul and he's able to interact and prophesy or in, in other words, speak the perceptions and and perspectives of heaven to all that all that were in the room and i land on that end of things i think this was an amazing picture of god's love another like super intense invitation from god to saul to say saul stay connected to me saul stay aware of my presence saul i have not abandoned you and i know that there's lots of people lots of preachers who love the, that phrase you know that god abandoned Saul that that God was sending evil spirits to Saul that that God had lifted his grace from Saul and yet you get this picture and that's not what happened God is still there God is still impacting and able to impact the life of Saul he's still inviting Saul into the goodness of his of his love and his grace continually he's like this could happen all the time Saul 
And so Saul's reaction is Saul's reaction. He evidently leaves. He just gets up and leaves after his whole day in the presence of God. And then it says David fled from that place with Samuel. And he goes to Jonathan. And he starts asking questions. What have I done? What is my crime? How how have I wronged your father? What that he's trying to kill me? What is going on? Help me understand, Jonathan. What is going on? What did I do? What did I do? Explain it to me. Well, here's the thing. I don't know why David did that. I have some theories. Uh, I'll go over them. But but just at face value, when you read that, David fled. Why? 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 Why would he run? Literally. God's favor is so clear on this on 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 where he's at. Like his his protection is so absolute in this moment. Probably 400 soldiers have now come and gone from this place completely unable to touch David because they've been completely overwhelmed by the presence of God. That's what's happened since he's been there. Over and over and over again. God, God, this was not only a message to Saul, this was a message to Samuel and to David. Hey, you you guys don't have to do, do a thing. You don't have to lift a finger. All you have to do is stay in my presence. All you have to do is, is listen to me. All you, I mean, no, not listen to me like, you listen to me. You listen to me, boy. No, it's, it's, it's like, you just hang out with me. Literally rest in me. You cannot, you, I cannot overemphasize the incredible power of, of rest when it comes to, to warfare, when it comes to battles, especially in the spiritual realm. It's it's unbelievable how powerful that is. And that's exactly what David and Samuel were doing. They were resting in the presence of God. They were resting in the worship and interaction of heaven. I imagine David had multiple instruments where he that he was playing at this time. Like just he was just hanging out. He was an artist and a musician at this point. He he was on the run. He had nowhere else to go. He didn't have any job to do. He was just able to interact with heaven. This had to be an incredibly powerful place. And then you've got this weird thing where he just gets up and leaves. He just he just decides I I have to know what I did that was wrong. And I get that on a basic level, right? Sometimes we we just have to know what we did. Like we, we, we want to know, what, what did I do? What did I do? We're not content to just rest and cast, quote, all of our cares on, on God because he cares for us. We want to, we, we, we care enough that we want to know the details. <laughs> I got to know. I got to know what I did that was wrong. There's only one person I I know of that I can trust, that I can talk to, that won't kill me when I when I see him, and that's Jonathan. So he runs from this place of safety, this place of favor, this place of protection, this place of blessing, to go find out some information. And I don't know how much we can draw from that as spiritual lessons, but I'm sure that there's stuff there for us to know. 
I, I do think that a lot of times God has us in, in the right spot, so to speak. I know God has us there like he forced David to go there. He didn't force David to go there. God's goodness showed up where David was because God's goodness was always with David because David was always aware of God's goodness. So God's goodness is just flowing all over this place. And David says, you know what? I'm leaving. I don't, I don't understand. Like there's no indication as to why he needed to do this. If 400 troops weren't, weren't moving David, then, then, then what was going to move him? The only thing that would move David out of this place was his own personal desire to know the details. And that fascinates me because he didn't need to know. I mean, honestly, he's dealing with with a guy who isn't always making the wisest of, of decisions. And this guy's left. He was there. He was overwhelmed by God's presence, and he left without David. Saul did the same thing. I mean, the message from from God was, look at look at what my goodness can do. I will literally take the man who signed your death warrant, and I will overwhelm him with my love, because my love is that powerful. That's how powerful God's love is. It overcomes all evil. Overcomes all evil. Doesn't mean that evil doesn't exist. It just means when you come face to face with it, his love wins. Love wins. All right. David meets up with Jonathan. What 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 is going on? What did I do? How have I wronged your father? Why is he trying to kill me? And Jonathan's like, whoa, whoa, never. My dad would never kill you. You are not going to die. Look, my dad doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It can't be true. So here we see a picture of Jonathan who I'm not sure where he was during this whole, it had to be at least a week long back and forth of troops to and from Ramah uh, to try and capture David. It had to be at least a week in which they were interacting. So I don't know where Jonathan is. He's on a, a ambassador mission. He's, he's hanging out with his family somewhere. I have no idea, but he is, David finds him and he's like, what is going on? And Jonathan's response is, I have basically, I have no idea what you're talking about. There's no way my dad put out a, a death warrant on you without me knowing about it. He doesn't do anything without me knowing about it. And David, John, and David says, I know this then. Your dad knows that you and I are best friends. Uh, scripturally, you know, in the Bible, it says, I found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Now that made perfect sense to Jonathan. Jonathan was like, listen, my dad doesn't do anything great or small without me. Like I am in the in the throne room all the time. I know exactly what he's doing all the time. There's no way he made this decision without me. And David's like, all right, then clearly your dad knows that you and I are in covenant with one another and that you and I uh are are you know are inseparable when that when that covenant where that covenant comes to play and he knows that if you find out that he's out to kill me you're going to be grieved in other words you're going to you're going to fight for me you're going to you're going to bring reason into the decision making process and you're probably going to make him back down again like you did before this happened before, and you talked him out of it, remember? I mean, it was a beautiful picture. That was a couple episodes ago. It was 
a beautiful picture of how to have a honorable confrontation to bring about repentance. It's it's awesome. I might I actually I might preach that. I might just preach that passage. It's a perfect passage of confrontation in honor and love. And then Jonathan listens to what you know to to what David said, and he goes, "Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. That's exactly what happened." My dad has kept this from me. He's kept it from me, kept it on, you know, he did it on the side. He did it outside of the throne room or he did it, in, you know, he did it with his own private guard. Uh, I had no idea about this. I'm guessing Abner knew about it because uh, I think Abner, I believe Abner was an uncle. I'd, I'll have to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure he's an uncle to Saul. So he's one of his father's brothers. So I'm sure that the family was aware of this. And I'm, I wonder sometimes because of the whole family situation, I wonder if not, if the family didn't, didn't drive this thought uh, constantly into, into Saul's head. You need to take out David. You need to take out David. Like, I'm not saying that, that Saul didn't struggle with self-rejection and, and saw David as a threat, but I have a feeling that threat was emphasized and taken advantage of by those who wanted to control Saul. They wanted, they they knew that he was he was struggling in this area, and they knew that they could you know um, remind him of the ways that that David has been a threat to to his to his throne, which wasn't true. David wasn't a threat; he was a servant to the throne. He served the throne all of his days, but that didn't mean that it. Uh, it you know the enemy the enemy will find multiple ways to bring the lies in multiple ways to feed the lies your your mind uh, will find evidence for any lie that you believe it will also find evidence for whatever truth you believe if you focus on the truth that's why that phrasing you know you reap what you sow is so true that's why meditation is so important when you meditate on the principles of God, on the Word of God, on the on the you know the principles of of heaven, on the perspectives of heaven. When you meditate on those things, your mind starts finding evidence for those things all around. I find good stuff everywhere, and and trust me, the circumstances right now in our world, man, it's nutty. It's nutty out there, and but it's been nutty all the time. If you want to find it, you'll find crazy, depressing, divisive, ugly you know, behavior from all kinds of people. And you can say, this is it, this is it. You know, the world is ending. I mean, I grew up in the in the 70s and in, in early 80s, man. I can't tell you the number of, of seminars and messages I heard on the book of Revelation. Man, we thought, we thought this was the end days. Holy smokes, God was coming back. I I not only I not only went to many conferences in which an end time message was given in in front of a you know an evangelical uh, evangelistic invitation, right? God's coming back. Are you going to die without Him? Are you going to be left behind? Bum, bum, bum. That was a fun movie, by the way. You should check that out on YouTube. Left Behind. That whole series, pretty awesome. The music, the fashion. <laughs> The incredible delivery from all the actors and actresses. Definitely want to look that one up. I probably saw that movie 15 times. Different churches and camps. Every every week at camp we saw a Left Behind series. It was awesome. Anyways, doesn't matter. I don't even know. what. How did I get on the end times talking about this? 
I okay, go back to scripture here. Where was I? Uh, Saul killing people. Oh, oh, because your mind will find evidence. Your mind will find evidence. So we believed God was coming back the next day, and we found evidence every day for the reason why He'd come back the next day. And and uh, so you reap what you sow. And if you look for goodness and you believe that God is good, you will find His goodness in your life over and over and over again. If you believe that He's that He's uh, God of hope and that love brings hope and that he is love and he lives in you, you'll bring hope and you'll bring love and people around you will find hope and love every time they're around you. It's, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. Okay. Don't sing Bob. This is a podcast, not a concert. So here we go. So David said to Jonathan, Jonathan's like, okay, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. Jonathan here declares his loyalty to David. He's like, all right, you're right. My dad is going after you without my consent, without my uh, counsel slash wisdom. He's doing this without me. Uh, So you're right. You probably are one step to death. Like you, you, you come out, you're dead. Which goes back to my first little point, which is, I have no idea why David stepped out from where he was clearly safe, where he was clearly protected by God. It doesn't, I I just, I, I I don't get it. Now, maybe another little theory is he's looking at this rhythm of troops coming in, and he says, eventually, Saul will send an army, not just a hundred men. Or 10 men, or whatever it was. He's going to send a much bigger troop. I don't want to put the school, you know, the students at risk. I don't want to put Samuel at risk. I don't want to put this village at risk because they'll just surround the village and wait. Or they'll just attack the school and and wipe it down to the ground and everybody will have to start over. Like maybe, maybe his thought was on that end of things and he's, he's thinking, I just... I just need to get out of here. I need to find another place to be. Uh, this is—it's not safe for me anywhere. In, excuse me, anywhere in the country, and anywhere I go, he's going to try and track me down. So he goes to Jonathan. He's like, "I—I I need to know. I need to know for sure that this death warrant is still out for me. I need to know for sure that your dad still wants to kill me." So. Jonathan is like, all right, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. So Jonathan had all, uh, David had already put together this plan in his head. He'd already said, tomorrow is a new moon feast. I'm supposed to eat with the king, but let me go and hide until the evening of the day after tomorrow. So this, that's a two-day hiding that he's doing. He's going to, tomorrow I'm supposed to be somewhere. I'm going to go hide until the day after tomorrow, so the second day of the feast. And if your father misses me at all, just tell him I went to Bethlehem because there was an annual sacrifice for my for my whole family. If he says, all right, at least David is safe, great. Then I'm good. He's not really going to kill me. But if he loses his mind again, if he gets angry and starts, you know, starts to whatever, you'll know. And 
that he is determined to kill me. Like the, the death warrant isn't gone. He still wants to do me harm. As for you, if you don't mind, Jonathan, if you could be kind to me, for we are still, you know, we're still in covenant. I know we're still, we're still best friends. I know that what you have is mine. What I have is yours. Although what I have isn't, I don't have anything without you because your dad gives me everything I have because my family has it, blah, 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 blah. That's all implied in that phrase. He says, listen, if, if I am guilty, if your dad gives good reason for me to die, if there's something I've done that is, you know, treasonous and, 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 and horrific when it comes to your family or to the nation, then please do me a favor. Would you kill me? And and not put me in the hands of your father. I don't I don't want to die in that way. I don't want to die in in the rage of anger and pride. I'd rather die at the hands of a friend. Would you please kill me? So Jonathan was like, What? Oh, I could never kill you. And 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 listen, if my father is determined to kill you. I'll tell you that he is. In other words, I'll I'll help you escape. Well, he's like, well, who's going to tell me if your father answers you harshly? If 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 your dad loses his mind, if he gets angry, like you might not make it out of the banquet. Like like who's who's going to tell me? He's like, we'll figure this out. So Jonathan has a plan. He goes, let's go to the field. So they went to the field, and and Jonathan's like, listen. Before before we go through this plan, and he has several verses here where basically he's saying this, swear by the Lord God of Israel that I will surely sound out my father by this time tomorrow, day after tomorrow. So in two days, if he's favorably disposed to you, I will not send word, will I not send word to you and let you know. In other words, I, I'll let you know either way, but if he intends to kill you, May the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not tell word to, to let you know and send you away in peace. In other words, if I, if I somehow get suckered in to the plans of my father and I don't let you know that he's about to kill you, then, then that's on me. And may the Lord deal with me that way. In other words, may, may God kill me. So this is, a, this is a, a, like a really intense promise he's making. But he says, listen, regardless of what happens, I want you to live. So I'm going to find out one way or the other. Either my dad's not going to kill you, or if he is going to kill you, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you escape. But either way, please be kind to my family. And this is this is again that heart of honor. I I've mentioned it before. Jonathan is such a beautiful character in Scripture. He says to David at this time, basically, I love my dad. I know that you love my dad. We both know what my dad could be if he followed after the after God. Like if he just followed God, if he just hung with God, if he stopped being influenced by all the people around him, if he tro- stopped trying to um, not be a disappointment to the family, if he tried not, you know, made decisions out of love instead of fear, made decisions out of hope instead of instead of self selfishness like there would just be so much amazingness about him and you and I both know that so listen would you please be kind to my family regardless of what the lord does for you cuz Jonathan's like I know God's basically going to take care of you if you run away everything's going to be fine but uh 
and the way the way he said that, okay, I'm sorry, I'm reading it here. He said, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. In other words, that's that's his way of saying, I know if you escape, God's going to be with you, and He will He will protect you from all of your enemies. Of which, clearly, we're talking about my father here. He's turned himself into an enemy of David and has called you his enemy. So. I'm just saying, please be nice to my family. Please, uh, for the sake of our friendship, don't cut, don't don't destroy my family. And and David says, may the Lord call David's enemies into account. And David, Jonathan and David reaffirmed their oath out of love, and be, they all they all loved. Just a, this is just a beautiful, just just a beautiful moment in the field with two best friends. And I think they both know that this could be the last time that they really have an opportunity to talk because they're alone. There's no, evidently no servants around. Uh, they're outside the city walls. And, and then they go through the plan. Tomorrow is a new moon feast. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. Uh, the day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when all this trouble began and wait by the stone, or the very specific place. I'll shoot arrows to the side of it as though I are shooting at a target. I'll send my servant or this little boy will go find the arrows. And if I say, look to this side, then, you, then you'll know that you can come forward because it'll be on this side of the, of the rock. If I tell him that the arrows went beyond the rock, it means you've got to run away. You've got to go that direction. You can't come forward. You can't come toward me. You have to go away. So David hid in the field. And I get the, I mean, the, the nuances here is that he hid there for two days. I'm guessing he had something to eat and something to drink. Um, and because he was outside the city gate, maybe he was able to go find those things. You know, he just stay hidden. He, he knew how to do that. He was a shepherd. He knew how to wander in and out of of hiding. He knew how to stalk prey because he had to keep an eye out for wolves and foxes and coyotes and and bears and tigers and and um whatever else might come after his little sheepies. So he knew how to handle the wilderness. He knew how to handle being hidden and he stayed hidden for two days. And then at the at the at the meal Uh, it says, um, the new minister, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his normal place by the wall opposite Jonathan. So Jonathan's sitting on the other side of the table. I'm guessing his back is toward toward the opening. All right, the king's back is toward the wall, so no one can sneak up behind him and, and kill him. It's not an unusual thing for dignitaries. Uh, and if you talk to... A lot of martial arts mindsetted uh, people, they always look for a place where no one can come up behind them. Uh, security guys often do the same thing. I've, I've seen them. They look for seats anywhere they sit. They want to be where no one can come up behind them. It's just a security thing. So that's where that's where Saul is. He's sitting across the table. I'm guessing it's on a small table. It's probably a big one. Might be a square, rectangle, circle. Who knows? 
And Abner sat next to Saul, a place of honor. But David's place was empty. And that probably was on the other side of Saul. Remember, David, Abner was the overall commander general of all troops. David oversaw the, the battlefield. He oversaw the ground troops. So the first day, Saul said nothing. He thought to himself, hey, David, David must be unclean. Um, but the next day, David's place was empty again. Now, this is what's crazy to me. And this is why I, I go back to what I uh, said earlier in this episode. Saul went to was part of the fourth wave of, of troops to go get David from Ramah. And he gets overwhelmed with the presence of God, and he leaves without David. And here he is, let's say a week later, beginning of the month, and he fully expected David to sit next to him at this banquet. He expected David at the banquet. This is a man he's put out a death warrant on. This is a man he sent multiple troops to, to go capture, and he he is shocked that David is not sitting in his seat. This blows my mind unless in some crazy cultural way people were used to Saul losing his mind and then changing his mind. And honestly, a lot of people think God's this way. I, 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 I just, I, I'm telling you, so many people think this is, this is a picture of God. And, and most of those people would not admit this when they're talking about Saul, but this is the way they present Saul, and it's the way they present God. Periodically, God just loses his mind, and then he changes his mind. Every so often, he thinks you're just a horrible person, and he's tremendously disappointed in you, and he's going to wipe you out, and he sends the angels to attack you, or demons to attack you, or evil spirits to, to come after you, and then he changes his mind, and he expects you to come to the banquet and hang out with him. This is ridiculous, the way that so many people picture God, and it's ridiculous, because we see it in Saul, and you say, no, the guy's, I mean, legitimately, so many people present Saul as a crazy man. I don't think he was. I just think that that when you live in that insane yeah, I just said he wasn't a crazy man. I said insane in the same sentence. Okay, okay. When you don't know who you are, when you don't have purpose and you have the weight of, of the nation upon you and every decision carries with it tremendous impacts for for so many people, you can't you can't be yourself. You don't you don't feel connected to yourself, you don't you don't understand where you're going. You're you're constantly spiraling into depression and into self-doubt and 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 fear. And you, you make decisions and then you back down off of decisions. But this is what this is what evidently people were used to. And so he expected David to be at this banquet. To me, that's that's pretty crazy. That's like, you know, well, it's like uh you can come up with a lot of examples, right? It's like uh, we'll 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 keep it in the family, right? Because this was kind of a family connection. Your dad kicks you out, or the grandfather kicks you out, whatever. Family patriarch kicks you out, tells you never come back. Finds out where you're living, and tries to destroy that. Tries to drag you back home to destroy your life, literally. But then it's Thanksgiving, 
and it's time for the meal, and this person is shocked that you're not there. Well, where are they? Why aren't they here? This is this is crazy to me. I, if I'm if I'm Saul, I, 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 I'm dumbfounded. I can't figure this one out. How is he surprised that David's not there? The first day he's like, well, maybe David's ceremonially unclean. Maybe, you know, maybe he was busy. He doesn't know David's hiding, you know, not under a rock, but <laughs> he's hiding out behind a rock in the field outside the city gates. He's he's like, well, maybe maybe he, you know, didn't get back from Rama on time. Wait, what? What? Like, how does somebody not lean over and go, well, uh, king, master, king, your majesty, maybe he's not here because you tried to kill him multiple times. You sent dozens of men to try and capture him, to drag him back to the palace and put him in a place where you could kill him. Maybe. Just just spitballing here, boss. Just just taking a guess. I don't know. I don't know. This part of the story is just bizarre to me. But I think culturally, uh, he he just figured, well, David, David will show. And David didn't. So the second day comes. And now he's like, wait a minute. So you kind of, uh, you know, I picture this like a, I, I, I haven't seen many pictures of the Bible days, many movies of the Bible days that actually I think capture the the grittiness of life in the palace. It's usually polished. And so I mentioned Game of Thrones a lot because I think Game of Thrones captured the grittiness uh of of society in in that era, that middle-aged era. So I don't know what it was like in the palace, but I don't think it was a polished situation. I think it was, you know, it was it was rough. And so there's a, there's the meat on the table, and there's vegetables, and there's fruit, and there's wine, and there's you know candles lit, and there's fire going on somewhere uh, to kind of keep things warm. Maybe in the middle of the table, there's a you know there's I, I don't know, but. Saul is looking across from him at Jonathan, and Saul is suspicious and has been, which is why he didn't tell Jonathan that he was trying to kill David. And he's looking at Jonathan. Maybe Jonathan's trying to look nonchalant about the whole thing, like he didn't even notice David wasn't there, his best friend, the one that everybody knows, their best friends. Everybody knows that Jonathan and David... They, you know, when they're when they're at home together, they get together with their families. They hang out. They laugh. When David goes away in battle, Jonathan is, you know, is not necessarily at his side, but he sends him away. He encourages him. He gives him good news. He, you know, he had given David his sword and his spear and his shield, so David was well protected by iron. It was, it 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 was obvious. And maybe Jonathan is trying to make it look not obvious, and maybe Saul is just, he's just, you know, chewing, cutting, but he's staring across the table at Jonathan. Just I just picture him just staring at him. Now, this is a 
This is a tall, good-looking man, and I've and his eyes were just, I think, on fire. And he's just glaring at Jonathan. And then he says, Hey, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to come to the meal either yesterday or today? And I just picture this silence. Like everybody, everybody's at the table. Everybody's eating. It's a little awkward. David's not there. Everybody knows why David's not there because Saul's been trying to kill him for for a month. And everybody's eating, but they're talking, you know, kind of casually. And they, they every, I just think everybody knows Saul ain't talking, right? Saul is just glaring. He's eating, but he's eating with his face up. He's not looking at his plate. He's, he's shoving stuff in his face, but he's staring at Jonathan. And then he just crosses his arms. And he says, hey, why do you think the son of Jesse isn't at, hasn't been at the, at the meal today or yesterday? And everybody's like, huh? like I, I, I picture like if, if it was a movie, like the servants would be like, like, do we move? Do we do we move? Do we pour any more wine? Do we bring out any more food? Everybody just stands still. Everybody's waiting for Jonathan's answer. And Jonathan had rehearsed the answer. He had rehearsed the answer. He wanted it to sound natural. He didn't want to, to rush it. He had to make it right. <laughs> you could picture, picture Jonathan. Um, let's see. I got to practice. I got to practice. He's been practicing this for two days. Um, yeah. Oh, well, oh, yes. <laughs> it's a, I picture it coming out almost apologetically. Like he's trying to be like, oh, I, I should have told you this yesterday type of thing. Oh, yeah. David begged me. He he begged me, earnestly asked me. He wanted to go to Bethlehem. Uh, he actually said, uh, he said, uh, let, let me go, please, because my family is doing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why I, he has not come to the king's table. So Jonathan lies. I, again, I don't think this means God condones lying. I don't think that, that God's in this plan. I don't even know if God was in the plan to begin with, because I kind of get this. It's not that God can't be there. Trust me, right? There's nothing that separates us from the presence of God. So it's not like God abandoned everything. It was like, oh, you screwed up. You should have stayed in Rama. I had you protected there. Fine, you're out on your own. Good luck with that. I think he's like, okay, you know, my goodness can show up anywhere. Uh uh, I'm not I'm not for this plan, but I haven't left you because he never leaves us. And I do know that that's hard for people because you can use so much of that concept of God leaving you as a way to manipulate people's behavior. But I don't think God does. I don't think God manipulates people's behavior. So he doesn't manipulate Jonathan's behavior. He doesn't he doesn't make it impossible for him to lie. But he he lies. He's like. Uh, it, it was a family thing, uh, Dad. You know, his brother actually asked him to be there. And, and I think he brought in the brother because that would carry a lot of weight. Saul knows how much hate and rejection David has has dealt with from his family and specifically from his brothers. This was no small deal to throw in the concept of the brothers wanting him home. This This would have carried a lot of weight emotionally and through the thought processes of Saul. 
And Jonathan, I think, laid that in there as part of the lie because he was he was testing. He thought, I have to test to see how sincere my dad is at killing David. I mean, if he knows that that at some level David has an invitation of acceptance from his family, my dad knows how much that would mean to David, and he he should be happy to hear that David's family wants him home. Like this, this is an occasion, this is an answer that that Jonathan has cooked up and has prepared so that he can really see if his dad was that sincere about killing David or if he really wanted the best for, for David. And I believe as sincere as Jonathan was, he shouldn't have lied. That part I believe. I think God could have showed up anyways. But Jonathan lies, but he does so strategically. Like he's clearly thought this out. Again, no, no excuse for it. It's just I, what I see happening here. And Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And I mean, he lays Jonathan out. Oh my word, he destroys Jonathan. This is horrible. This is a like this is this is horrible. And this is what happens when you when you're selfish and you feel and and prideful and you don't know who you are and you feel slighted and offended at everything then you you also think that you are justified to destroy other people's lives to make them feel as badly emotionally as you feel and that's i mean Saul let loose i i i can't uh yeah i'm sorry i just did a really hard swallow uh so that's probably I don't know if you guys can pick that up. I know my producer, <laughs> my producer just told me yesterday, this is after 10 episodes that I've recorded already. He's like, you swallow a lot. And I'm taking, you know, I, I take them all out. But just so you know, like if you could cut back on that, it would help me because it would actually, you know, it would cut down the amount of time he has to spend uh, doing the the removal of swallows. <laughs> but if you ever get to hear the originals, of these recordings, you'll hear a lot of swallows, evidently. Uh, some of that has to do with the EQing and the compressing he does. It actually picks up that that uh, that sound wave, that frequency, and it emphasizes it. And the reverb makes it even bigger. So, anyways, I'm, I've been sta- I've been this is the first one where I'm consciously trying not to swallow, and in my head, it's 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 pretty funny because I'm like, oh my gosh, I do swallow a lot. I don't even know if I really need to swallow that much. It's just kind of like. Um, it's a way for me to like put a comma in a sentence, I guess, rather than saying, um, I swallow, which is probably a little less annoying than saying, um, all the time. But when you're a sound engineer, like, like my producer and he's listening to it, it's probably just as annoying and maybe even harder to find. Anyways, on with the story. And the story continues. Thank you for that commercial break, Bob. No problem. So is Saul's just, Ugly. This is an ugly, ugly, ugly incident. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of what we, what I would consider hatred, verbal abuse, um, anger from a father. Who's John, Jonathan has done nothing but honor his father, nothing but show love toward his father that we know of. Like everything we know of Jonathan, he's a sweet, amazing man who's filled with a warrior's heart and a uh you know a, a a leader's heart of honor and love for his father 
and I'm sure for everyone, he probably honors everyone really well. And so here publicly at the banquet, Saul loses his mind. Again, another concept that so many people think God has, that God just loses his mind and lays you out publicly, humiliates you in front of everybody. That's that's This is what's going on. Saul, flare, his anger flares up and he says to Jonathan, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Holy smokes. He goes right after Jonathan's mother, which was also Saul's wife. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is hardcore. This is ugly. And I know, honestly, a lot of, a lot of people probably have felt this because I'm guessing through divorces and, and separations, you have heard, you know, insults of one of your parents from the other parent while they're yelling at you. You are just like your mother. And she's a horrible, lying little bit. Ooh, Bob, don't say that on the radio. I didn't. Okay. So I didn't say it. You don't have to cut that out. I, I bleeped myself. I was just quoting somebody anyways. It can get ugly. It got ugly. He's like, you're a son of a perverse, which means she. it was very similar to being, basically, she's a whore and a drug addict. That's the rebellion is, is that of, the, of, of witchcraft. And perversion is that of lust. So, so witchcraft and f- comes from the same word of, as pharmacy or drugs. So it's, it's, it was ugly. He called her a, basically a, a whore, drug addict, whore, rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Wow, man, I I just I I'm sorry that there's such a long pause, and maybe we can leave that in. I don't know, but I I've just sat here staring at the microphone, like like my mind's. Move, the movie in my mind when I read this this paragraph is just so intense. I can't imagine the the intensity, the quietness of the room. Everybody's feeling horrible for Jonathan. Everybody's doesn't know what to do with with Saul. You can't talk to Saul when he's in when he's when he's like this. And again, a lot of people that feel the same way about God, like well, when God gets angry, like just go hide. Everybody wants to hide. Nobody want nobody wants to be in the room at this point. Nobody. And I picture the I picture tears welling up in Jonathan's eyes, like like he's looking at his father and he knows this is not the real you. I you know I don't know how to fix this situation. I don't know how to help you out of this hole that you're in, but but this is not you. And what you just said isn't true. It's not true about my mother. It's not true about your wife. And Jonathan somehow maintains composure and he says, why? Should he put be put to death? What has he done? So Jonathan could have backed down, and I'm sure Saul's thinking the same thing. <laughs> he's thinking he's going to put Jonathan in his place. He's going to expose Jonathan as a traitor to the family. He's accusing Jonathan of treason in front of everyone, including the military general, Abner. He, he's, he's accusing him of, of treason to the family and to the nation. You 
are siding with somebody that I've signed a death warrant on and he must die. You go bring him to me. In other words, this is your job now because I know Jonathan, uh, David trusts you and I know if you're not treasonous, if you're not rebellious, if you're, if you're somebody who's worthy of life, you will obey your king and your father. And you will go get him so I can kill him. I I again this the the death deathly silence in, in the banquet room. Nobody's moving. I think Jonathan is staring right back at his father. His father is red, his face is is, is probably sweaty. There's probably some spittle coming out on his beard. I think Saul has stood up at this point because he's used to standing up because he's taller than everybody else in the nation. Like he's he's trying to get as big as he can and as dominant as he can in position as sitting on the throne or the you know the head chair, slammed the chair against the wall, stood up and and accused his son and the and his and his wife slash the son's mother of horrible things. And then tells Jonathan, go get David and bring him here so I can kill him. And Jonathan, probably with tears in his eyes, he looks at his father and he's not like, I don't don't think he's, well, he's probably got a mix of emotions. But he says, why? Why should we kill him? What has he done? (laughs) <laughs> I laugh because one of the worst things to do to an arrogant boss is question his reasonings or her reasonings. They, they never take kindly to that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, especially publicly, right? There's so many movies we could refer to at this point or television shows where Somebody asks the question in the boardroom or, you know, at the at the conference, uh, the convention, and everybody is shocked, like, because everybody knows you never you never ask the boss that question. You never you never ask why you just do it. Ours is not the reason why ours is but to do or die. Jonathan, Jonathan, what are you doing? And there's probably people who love Jonathan, like who wouldn't love Jonathan? He's an amazing young man. He's sitting right there. He's at the table. I'm guessing he has friends on both sides of him, if not all the way around the table, and they start to see Jonathan's mouth move. And if they're anything like me, they're thinking, no, 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 don't, don't, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk, don't, don't. And then he, they hear the words, why should we put him to death? What has he done? And they're, I, they hang their heads like, oh no, this is not going to end well. Totally, I totally see this happening. Because I've been there. I've, <laughs> I've been there in a much smaller scale with my children, right? There's times where where when they were growing up and you ask them to do something and you've asked them to do it and you've asked them to do it and it's like the 13th time and and, and admittedly you're frustrated. Not you, because you guys are awesome parents, but me, frustrated and I, and I let loose, right? And then I see that they're going to come back to me with something else and in my head I'm saying don't. Say it. Just do do what I please. Just do. And then they say it anyways, and it's like, oh, 
<laughs> like they keep calling your bluff. I'm, you know, I'm going to take away the snack and they do it again. I told you, if you do this, I'm going to take away your snack and they do it again. Listen, all right, listen, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Right. Anyways. And then you end up having to take away the snack. Well, in a much bigger scale, that's what's going on here. And I just picture people at the table going, no, 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 no. And Jonathan speaks and he's like, everybody hangs their head. And then Saul hurls a spear to kill him. This was not a threat. Saul went for it. Saul grabbed, uh, he probably had his spear. He probably thumped it on the ground when he was when he was yelling at Saul, uh, Jonathan about his mother and how horrible of a son he was. He's telling Jonathan what a horrible son he is. And Jonathan says, I just need to know, why are we trying to kill David? What did he do? And Saul has no reason to kill David. And everybody at the table knows this. But now he's been publicly questioned and in his mind publicly humiliated by his son. And he literally tries to kill his son at the table. I don't think this is the first time he's chucked a spear at somebody at the table. I have a feeling he's done this, like I said, a number of times in the spirit of of intimidation and fear that he had created all throughout the palace. But he chucks this thing to kill his son, and he misses. And it says Jonathan got up from the table in anger on the second day of the feast, and he did not eat. So this was all kind of in the appetizer stage. And it says he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Wow. That's that's a man whose heart you cannot question. This is Jonathan. He was not selfish. He knew that his father had crossed the line. He wasn't angry because for selfish reasons. He was angry because He knew that something had overcome his father to the point where his dad was not himself. He was angry at the lies that his father believed about David. He was angry at the lies that his father believed about him. He was angry at the lies that that his father believed that were being whispered in his ears about, about the nation and about his behavior and about uh, the decisions he had made, all that stuff. He was angry at what his father had become because he knew what his father should be. And he got up and he was grieved because of his father's shameful treatment of David. That's just a another, another awesome verse that describes how beautiful and deep and, and loving and kind Jonathan was. And we're just gonna end there because I I just we'll, we'll pick up the rest of the the rest of the story starts in the morning. <laughs> and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure, you know, obviously you can read this stuff. You can be way ahead of me at this point, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just an intense, this whole season of this whole week of the new moon festival that started, you know, back in verse five, it's just, it's just such an intense emotional time. And, and there's so many nuances of the palace and the, and the attitudes and the culture of the palace and the culture of the of the servants that worked the palace and those and the attendants and the counselors and the and the military leaders all around 
is David, you know, really uh, going to get killed? How is Saul going to react to being overwhelmed by the presence of God? And and what is he going to do if David doesn't show up? And is David going to show up? And rumors, David's on his way. David's not on his way. I'm pretty sure we saw it. Like, I have a feeling there's probably a couple rumors floating around because somebody probably saw David running from Rama. They know that he's not there. Somebody knows that that he's not there, and the rumors would spread. Where is he? Is he here? Is he going to come? If he comes, is he going to kill Saul? He should kill. I'm telling you right now, if he if he comes, he should kill Saul because Saul is going to kill him. It's the, the the yeah. It's a crazy world atmosphere, and in the middle of all that, Jonathan's passion and heart is just it. It never wavers. It's filled with love and honor. And the anger he feels is an anger for what the lies have done. In essence, what sin has done to the heart of his father. And that is the heart of God. When God looks at sin, he's angry. Not because you're doing sin and he's mad at you. He's angry at what sin has done for you. He's angry at what the results of that sin is going to bring to you. Because his goodness has such a better plan. And Jonathan wanted his father to live in the goodness of God. And God wants you to live in the goodness of of God as well. And it's just a choice you get to make every day. You reap what you sow. What are you going to focus on? That's really what you're after. And that's what your mind will find. And that's what your heart will be drawn to. Focus on the goodness. Focus on hope. Focus on love. And it'll change your world. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Epic Narrative. If you have questions for Bob or would like to reach out for booking, please email us at thebobswitzer at gmail.com or visit thebobswitzer.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Epic Narrative podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. See you next week for another chapter in our story on The Epic Narrative. The Epic Narrative.